Hello and welcome to today's episode of the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast where it is my job to help people like you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if this is your very, very first episode, I want to give you a welcome hug, high five, however you want to pretend we're doing this over the audio waves here, but I want to say welcome, super excited to have you here. And if you're returning, I'll give you a hug as well (laughs) and I want to say how much I appreciate you coming back week after week. And man, this week, you and I are in for a treat. So get ready for some paradigm shifting insights. Seriously, I do not say that lightly because today's guest is Shannon Graham. And Shannon submitted a super short bio when he booked on the show. So normally I'd share a longer one, but honestly, I really think this one sentence bio is pretty much all you need to know about him. So here it is. Shannon Graham is the top coach in the world for visionary leaders who want to change the world by doing the impossible. That's it. (laughs) And you will find out why and what that really means. But I'm a massive fan of his book, Expand, Leadership That Moves, Fulfills, and Changes the World. I've reread it twice already and have taken extensive notes on it. And it's given me an incredible new lens to upgrade my perspective on life. And in this episode, you're going to learn so much. But I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, what Shannon learned from a 1950s running athlete and Japanese monkeys that gave him the insights necessary to help increase the GDP of New Zealand. Zealand. You heard that correctly. So it's a really cool story. Number two, why solving huge problems and creating a ROI or as Shannon defines it, a ripple of impact, not return on investment in the world actually requires an entirely different form of leadership and why this new form of leadership is actually more selfish, less self-sacrificial and has a lot to do with worthiness. And number three, how you can accomplish the impossible and how Shannon is currently working to solve several massive problems, including including ending dementia, leveraging AI to democratize coaching, and ultimately within the next 50 to 60 years to help planet Earth to become a tier 1.5 civilization on the Kardashian scale. And I'm not going to explain what that is right now, so you'll have to stick towards the end to find that out. But let's just say as a teaser that it has to do with not only there being more intelligent life in the universe, but there are multiple levels of intelligent life. And this goal of Shannon's will require us to fully leverage the available energy of our planet and start to use more power from our surrounding planetary system. So yeah, this is some big stuff here. So all that to look forward to. And lastly, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out as always, which this week goes to JD Rainmaker, who left an incredible glowing review saying, this is the number one hub for amazing guests. Brandon invites the most interesting game-changing guests to be on the show. Love the questions Brandon asks paired with the authenticity each guest brings. Pure magic and so fun to hear while also providing distilled business and life mastery wisdom. Such a give. This podcast is a wealth of knowledge, resources, and inspiring journeys must here. So, wow. Thank you so much for that review, JD Rainmaker. And if you're listening to my voice right now and you haven't had the time to leave a review, you can go to sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. That's the number seven and millennials is spelled M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L-S. So that's sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. And on that page, it's going to show you exactly how you can leave a review along with if you choose to leave an honest review, not only might I give you a pre-show listener shout out in the future, it'll help more people to discover the show. And honestly, just selfishly, it makes my day, (laughs) but I will also give you a gift that will help you to understand how you can get the high level connections that you need to grow your business. So that can be found at sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. And with all that said, please enjoy this incredible mind bending paradigm 
shifting, world changing, Kardashian scale increasing conversation with the one, the only Shannon Graham. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Super, super excited to dive in today. And I just kind of have some opening thoughts I want to share before we dive in. So because of this podcast, I'm usually reading two to four books per month. And I have to say that your newest book, Expand, I was just telling you this beforehand, but now that we have people listening, it's called Expand Leadership That Moves, Fulfills, and Changes the World. This is a book that is skyrocketing to the top of my list. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of, now that I've read it read it and understand the concepts, to move into the implementation phase. So I, I'm, I have a, a strong feeling that this will be like a, a must read for the majority of our, our, our audience here. And so it's very beautiful, very poetic, and it's just an uncommon combination of insights and content. So I'm so excited to dive in more today. And I thought we would start with um, a really fun place, like I always like to start. <laughs> and you tell this story that's kind of, you kind of tell a story in multiple parts throughout the podcast interviews you've done and in the book. But I would love for you to share the story of what Roger Bannister has to do, breaking the four minute mile, what he and sweet potato loving Japanese monkeys have to do with you working on a project that increased the GDP of New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good story. Um, so for those of you who are not familiar, Roger Bannister was an athlete back in the 50s. And um, he is the guy who broke the four-minute mile. Um, in my opinion, what's most impressive about that story is not only that he did something that has never been done before, but when he did it, that same year, 22 other people did it. And no one had ever done it before that. Um, so it's cool because what that means is there is this collective potential that we all have. And all it takes to unlock that is for one person to do one thing that's never been done one time. And that's a pretty low barrier to collective upgrade if you really think about it. So what that means is as long as one person is willing to endeavor to do something that's never been done, it creates this, this ROI or this ripple of impact um, that becomes unprecedented. I mean, now kids in high school do the four-minute mile for fun. And so... Yeah, there's a there's a lot um, there's a lot there because what that means is there's there's really three pillars to to doing the impossible or doing things that have never been done before. Number one is the the value that the individual themselves get. So Roger Bannister was this guy. He had an idea for something that had never been done before. Um, and he did it. And so his potential went up and his belief in what he could do went up. So just as an individual, he benefited. Um, then there was the benefit to the other athletes that saw what was possible that they didn't think was possible and then believed it enough that they actually could do it. And then the third piece of the puzzle is um, 
is, is the benefit to the world. And what I mean by that is when the world sees that something is possible that hasn't been done before, they might not desire to do that thing in particular, but they have their own version of something that they've never done before that they uh, very likely now have the courage to do. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty um, powerful effect. Yeah. So now I kind of, I know I asked like a really long question. You're like, how do I fit all these things in? So Rogers Bannister, that story and what you just shared there was a pivotal understanding and you working on this crazy product or project uh, with increasing the GDP of New Zealand. So would you mind sharing a little bit about how that understanding of what you just shared actually translated into the manifestation of this project? Yeah. So in New Zealand, um, there's an interesting dynamic because per capita, they have some of the most innovative geniuses in the world. Um, and simultaneously, they have this thing called tall poppy syndrome, which is essentially um, it's a cultural mindset of humility, but it's really kind of a false humility. And so ultimately what it does is it causes people to, to play small, to doubt themselves and to kind of like stay um, keep their big ideas, um, you know, in the dirt, if you will. Um, so the idea was if we could get some of these people who have these brilliant ideas to believe in themselves and their ideas enough to bring them to the world stage, then the GDP would go up as a side effect. And so we kind of borrowed that idea from the, the Bannister playbook of like, not only if one person brings a, a world changing technology to the to the world stage would that make a difference but it would also inspire other people that are similar to do the same thing and so that's ultimately what we did um, we found one person who was kind of that lead domino like i said it only takes one person to do one thing one time to change everything and so we found one guy one inventor um, we worked with him we coached him uh, we got him to believe in himself we got him to increase his ability to communicate value and he ended up doing a deal with India um, for his rapid public transportation uh, system that he created. And that became a banister moment because then after that, it inspired this whole wave of other entrepreneurs in New Zealand to bring their technologies to the world stage. But we're talking about all different industries. We're talking about food and travel and education and just a whole um, you know, biotech, a whole just slew of, of different things. Um, yeah. And, and so for the first time ever last year, uh, technology contributed to the GDP of New Zealand uh, equal to livestock, which if you know anything about li uh, New Zealand, the biggest contributor to GDP essentially forever is livestock. Um, so that's, that's pretty profound. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the gist of, of how that all went down. Love that. And, and again, I, I apologize for asking such a messy question as the very first one, but the other component that I thought was, let's, let's kind of put a bow on top of this is you share a story. Uh, it's, I guess it was a study. I'm not gonna remember the date, but it was done about Japanese monkeys and sweet potatoes <laughs> and like how, yeah. how that has to do with uh, this as well. So I know I, I asked yeah. that at the beginning and people are like, what the hell you didn't <laughs> really get to that part, but it was my fault for uh, such a clumsy question. But would you mind sharing that really quick and then we can kind of move on to the yeah, next Yeah, well, so that, that, that's called the hundredth monkey phenomenon. Um, <clears throat> there's speculation about whether it's a true story or not. Some people think it's totally made up. Um, but here's the, the, the punchline comes at the very end. So, so here's the story. Um, some scientists were studying monkeys 
They were studying their behavior. And they were watching these one monkeys in this one area of the planet where <clears throat> there was this peach tree up on a hill. And the peaches would fall off the tree and they would roll down this sand bank and they would land right at the bank of this river. And the monkeys, not knowing any better, they, you know, peaches taste good to monkeys. And so <laughs> Me too. <laughs> they, would up, they would pick up the peaches, but they'd have sand on them because they rolled down the bank of the, of the hill. Um, but they would just eat them because they didn't know any better. So they'd just eat the peach and it would have sand on it and they would kind of like it and not like it at the same time. So they had this kind of like face, you know. And after doing this for a little while, the, the bank of the river is literally right there. And so at one point, one of the monkeys looks at the river and he looks at the peach and he looks at the river and he looks at the peach and finally goes, dunk, 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 dunk <laughs> in the water and takes a bite. And all the other monkeys are looking at him like, what's going to happen? And his face is like, <laughs> he's, he's smiling like, oh, ridiculously right now. He's, <laughs> he's loving it. He's been eating sandy peaches, right? And so all the other monkeys look at him and they're like, whoa, dude, his experience is way better than mine. I got to try that. So they start washing the peaches. And the, as, the, as the story goes, when the hundredth monkey washed the peach, collectively around the planet, there was this upgrade that happened. Uh, other scientists on the complete opposite side of the planet were watching a similar type of monkey. And out of nowhere, they woke up one day and just started washing the food. And so it speaks to this collective unconscious thread that, that kind of ties us all together. Now, the interesting thing is this. Some people say that story is made up. Some people say it's not real. Um, but here's the funny thing. It's called the hundredth monkey phenomenon. When the hundredth monkey washed the fruit, then there was this collective upgrade. Well, the funny thing is this. Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile one time. One person, one time. So the the hundredth monkey phenomenon is, is essentially a metaphor for collective consciousness upgrade. And we know that it's possible because Roger Bannister did it. And it didn't take 100 people to do it. It took one person to do it. So it's really just, it's just a metaphor for that when you do something that's never been done before, we all have that potential in us. And when we see it, when there's this like new paradigm that gets created, we all have access to something new and better. Yeah. Love that story. Thank you so much for sharing. So here's, here's kind of what I was thinking as far as where we take it from here is they've, everybody listening right now is like, holy shit, this guy's working on some big stuff, <laughs> increasing the GDP of New Zealand. Um, but it wasn't always that way, right? Like you, you, you've come from a lot. And so I would love to dive into that story. And then we can dive into some of the content of Expand, which is going to be game changing for everyone. But, you know, would you mind sharing a little bit of the, of the story of your background? I know you, there were some periods of your life where you, you dealt with homelessness and depression um, and, you know, had some, had some uh, like troubled, troubled tendency as a, as a kid. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that and the gap between how you got from there to the New Zealand stuff? Yeah, you know, I um, at one point in in my childhood, I was involved with uh, alcohol, drugs, crime, things like that, um, and you know, it was a it was a pretty dark road for a little while, um, and I got my hands on a, a product from Tony Robbins. Uh, one of his least popular products, uh, it's called Lessons in Mastery. Uh, most people don't know about 
lessons in mastery. They know about personal power. They know about get the edge. Um, but lessons in mastery is, is not as well known, but it is profound. It is profound. And I did that course and, um, I made a decision to apply everything in there. So rather than to just like listen to it and, and know it intellectually, uh, because I had enough insight back then that you could know something and not be something. And so I said, I'm not going to just know this. I'm going to be this. And so I really took everything in the, in the product to, to heart. And, um, yeah, that really, that really changed a lot. The funny thing is I was homeless for a period of time um, later in my 20s, but that, that experience was not so dark as many people would think that it was. It was actually in a way, I know it sounds kind of twisted, but it was actually kind of fun in some ways. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't exactly encourage people to like be homeless for fun, but um, it was fun simply because I... Um, had done some really good self-improvement work on myself at that point. And so instead of allowing myself to go deep down in the hole, um, I stayed relatively positive the whole time. And so it was, it was kind of a cool testament to the work that I had done on myself. Um, yeah. So then shortly after that, I started my coaching business uh, and that was about 18 years ago. It's incredible. Okay, so now we know where, where you've been, where you came from. So now let's let's kind of dive into some of this expanded leadership stuff. So that's kind of the topic of this whole book that you wrote called Expand. So I figured we just start with like the the very, very basic. So would you mind kind of explaining what you how you articulate this new realm of leadership that you've created? What does it mean to be an expanded leader and kind of just set the foundation for for that? Yeah, I think well, first of all, I think that a company's growth is directly correlated to the growth of the founder of that company. And um, a lot of people would argue with that. Um, but I think that that's really true. And so what that means is historically, what a lot of founders did if they wanted their company to grow, especially their employees, is they would look at the organization and say, this needs to grow. So let's bring in someone to help with that. Um, who are they leaving out of that equation? The leader. Themselves. Yeah. And so that's the fundamental problem. The, the business cannot grow more than they do. And for them to think that to grow the business, but not themselves, to remove themselves from that process, that's a mistake. Um, that's a mistake. And so, yeah, so it, it certainly, the, 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 the really the foundation of the whole principle uh, revolves around this idea that a company can only grow as much as a founder does. And so leadership, in my opinion, at its absolute core, the first step of leadership is the ability to successfully and efficiently lead yourself. And that has a multidimensional definition. And so what I mean by that is not just lead yourself and your company to more profits, um, lead yourself to better health, lead yourself to more discipline, lead yourself to um, higher levels of spiritual uh, awakening, lead yourself to better uh, levels of your your friends, lead yourself to better uh, fill in the blank, right? So there are multiple dimensions of leading yourself. And so, you know, being the hard charging entrepreneur that focuses only on business 
um, is kind of an outdated model. And so when we talk about leadership these days, in my opinion, it starts with A, including yourself in the growth of the business and B, um, not falling into the trap that growth has to equal sacrifice. Um, and so those, those are really two of the foundational principles. Love that. So we're going to dive into that, that topic of sacrifice and worthiness and all this other good stuff in a little bit. But I think that before we dive into that, I think that once, now that we have the understanding of what it means to be an expanded leader, to prioritize ourselves in order to effectively lead others and the change that we want to create in the world, it starts with an understanding of the leader, knowing what they truly want, because if we're in the wrong vehicle, of, of a business that doesn't serve our highest purpose, our highest self, we're never able to really fulfill that. So would you, I know that you, and you can correct me, fact check me if I'm wrong here, but you have clients that are fighting over paying you over $150,000 a year for your coaching. And this is kind of one of the first things that you help them to understand and coach them through is what do you want? So if we were kind of like a fly on the wall in one of these conversations with your, your high-end clients here, and you're helping walk someone through and as somebody that has already done a lot of good in the world that wants to do more and getting clarity on what that really means. Can you maybe walk us through that process of solidifying that so that we can then set ourselves up forward to, to actually achieve that and make that a reality? Yeah, I, I think the biggest difference between people who um, don't work with me, like the, the time that they have not spent working with me and then the moment they start working with me, the biggest difference is um, up till the moment they work with me, they have big goals and they know how to hit them. When they work with me, I push them to imagine goals that they don't know how to achieve. And that's really the biggest piece. Um, because if you know how you're going to achieve your goals, you're not thinking big enough. And so that's, that's I basically bring them to my, my office here in Santa Barbara and say, what do you want? Which happens to be one of the hardest questions for people to answer. Um, but then I push them, I, whatever their business. So it's usually one of two things. It's either to, to take their current business to a level of impact and a level of vision that's beyond anything they've imagined before. And I, and I help them do that. Or it's they have an existing business and it's making impact, but really they have this idea for something completely different. And ultimately, either way, what we end up with is this goal that neither of us know how to achieve which requires us to become bigger versions of ourselves in order to do it. Yeah, that's so powerful. So if somebody's listening to this right now and they're, they're, they're not working with you one-on-one, -on -one, and I mean, I think part of the value that you actually, the absolutely the value you bring is really digging deep, really pushing, really helping them to discover that. So if somebody maybe just had a pen and a piece of paper, or maybe some friends that could help them uncover this, are there any kind of tips or suggestions you would have for them to help under, uncover beyond the surface level of what really people want into getting to that level of clarity of doing the impossible. Yeah. I think there's a couple kind of prompts that can certainly help, which is, um, you know, what the, 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 the challenge about the question, what do you want is most people don't give honest answers and they don't give honest answers because especially if it's like in the realm of someone wanting to do something really big in the world, it bumps up against a lot of limiting beliefs. Um, it's not possible. I'm not worthy. Uh, it's too hard. Like whatever. There's, there's before people even get to the point where they can say what they want, they'll edit themselves. 
So, so realistic. And this happens all the time. This happens with every category of life you can imagine money, um, sex relationships, impact, like everything. Uh, people, this is what they want if they're super honest and this is what they're willing to give themselves. And so the process starts by just sitting down with a, pe- a piece of paper and, and genuinely asking yourself, what do you want? And if we're speaking from an impact perspective, the question is like, what is the, what is the impact you really want to make? Without editing it, without downplaying yourself, without doubting it, just being honest, just giving yourself at least a moment to own that and to say it. Um, that's, that's definitely the beginning. Love that. And obviously this stuff takes time too. This isn't like a, Hey, let's just do this journaling exercise in 60 minutes. You're going <laughs> you're to figure out what it looks like. You know, this might require, I mean, at least I think for me, the biggest moments of clarity have come from lots of time alone, lots of time discovering and exploring and, and really just opening the portal and being okay with being uncomfortable with answering those big questions. Yeah. So, okay. So now people understand, they have a little bit of an understanding of what it's like to go down that process and really identify what that is. And so this is coming directly from your book. So I'm going to read a little bit, but you explain how the expansion process is a function of two things. The first part is removing the limiting beliefs and stories that you've bought into either from other people or from yourself that cause you to believe that you're not good enough. And once those are removed, you have a clean slate that you can move on to part two, which is reaching a part, a point of feeling whole complete and worthy and asking yourself what beliefs, skills, abilities, traits, and identities do you need to take on to really elevate your game? So the way I'd kind of like to dissect that, I think that was a beautiful way of putting it is like the first part is you talked about removing those limiting beliefs. Like once you know what you want, then you have these limiting beliefs that hold in your way. And I think there's a combination of both societally placed limiting beliefs, right? That we understand as a society. And then there's the ones that happened as conditioning throughout our, our childhood. So I thought maybe we tackle some of the bigger ones that, that prevent people from moving forward. And so I don't know if you necessarily spell this out in your book, but the first episode of your podcast, you talk about a topic of leadership that I've never heard it put together, these two words to put together. And I think it's really powerful. So I'd love for you to maybe share about what you consider the most important factor of leadership, and that is worthiness. And this is so profound. So w- would you mind explaining why worthiness is the most important factor for leadership? Yeah, 100%. Um, because it's, it's really quite simple. The number one job of a leader is to create more leaders. So here's a simple question. Do you think that a leader should feel worthy of whatever it is they're endeavoring to do? Absolutely. Yeah. So then if a leader's job is to create more leaders, then shouldn't it be, shouldn't all the other leaders that that leader creates feel worthy as well of, of whatever it is that they're creating or contributing to? Of course, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is this worthiness is the biggest reason that people don't get what they want in life, even if they have it. And so, uh, yeah, you can only expand. You can only truly expand to the degree that you feel internally worthy. And so if a leader goes out of their way to make sure that they feel worthy of everything in life that they want, not just impact, but everything, spirituality, relationships, health, you know, all those things, 
If they go deep on that themselves, then what does that mean for the other leaders that they create? Because the, the, the genesis of what gets created in there um, is rich. It's powerful. And so you, you end up with a better uh, impact on the end user at the end of the day as well. So there's, again, there's this multidimensional kind of impact that comes from being able to, to master worthiness. Mm. So for like, what does that journey look like for people? Maybe in just both your experience of coaching people and, and, you know, going through this whole process of yourself, how do we kind of uncover that, that feeling of worthiness that allows us to expand greater and and impact and create more leaders? Yeah, that's a great question because it is exactly that. It's a feeling. It's a feeling. So the question is, what does, what does unconditional worthiness feel like? Mm. Um, because the thing about worthiness is that it is objective. It's not subjective. You don't get to decide how worthy you are. You just don't. It's, it's like a hundred dollar bill. A hundred dollar bill is worth a hundred dollars. Period. Your opinion doesn't change that. Maybe you're having a bad day and you look at the hundred and you're like, oh, that's only worth five bucks. Well, it, it's not. It's worth 100. So worthiness is the same thing. A lot of times, many people don't feel worthy. But that doesn't change the fact that they are. And so the first piece of the puzzle is to get them to let go of all the reasons why they think they're not worthy. Transformation, Brandon, at the end of the day, at, it, at its peak is a subtractive process, not an additive one. So if I take everything from you that is not you, all we are left with is you. And so if you have these bullshit ideas about your worthiness that you got from somewhere and we take those away from you, all you're left with is the truth. And the truth is that you are unconditionally worthy. And there's a certain feeling that comes with that. And that feeling creates certain thoughts and that feeling creates certain actions and those actions create certain results. And so the beginning is to undo, to, to tap into that feeling and to remember that that's the truth. That is the objective truth and to let go of everything else. I love that. One of the, one of my favorite quotes of all time that has come up multiple times on the show that has become very important to me is the quote by Carl Jung, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. And so I feel like that is one of the foundational, you know, unconscious things that can really be eating at you that prevents us from that next level. And I love that, that analogy of the dollar bill, like it's, or the hundred dollar bill. It's like, it's always worth that. And so are you setting yourself up to understand that at a deep level within yourself that allows you to really expand beyond whatever you thought possible? So thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, so I, I think I feel like that was a, you know, a really big, you know, one, the topic of worthiness. Uh, another myth that you kind of uncover and bust in the book and in your content is the myth of sacrifice. And so, you know, kind of going back to preventing us from, from reaching that next level. Can you talk a little bit about what the old definition of leadership, how they portray sacrifice and what this means in the expanded version of leadership? Yeah. So I think a lot of what messes up leadership is this concept of sacrifice. And I believe that sacrifice is good in some ways. 
Um, but I believe it tends to be used as an excuse for leaders who ultimately don't believe they're worthy. Um, and, and it's also just kind of a, a flawed, limited way of thinking um, that the only way to produce a certain result is to sacrifice. Um, yeah, so I, I just believe in something uh, much more multidimensional than that. I believe in something more expanded than that. Um, so this new era of leadership um, is about inclusion. It, it's about whatever in your dictionary the opposite of sacrifice would be. Because I believe that you can have thriving relationships and thriving health and thriving spirituality and a thriving business. I really, truly believe that you can do all of those things. Now, it might not look like total balance, like totally even scales the entire time. Sometimes balance looks like the scale is tipped all the way on one side and then sometimes it's all the way on the other side. So it's not sure. to say that there's this like, you know, holy grail of balance. Uh, but certainly this idea that in order to make a big impact, you have to sacrifice all these things um, is is silly. It's, it's actually quite limited. It's, it, 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 what it really is is a slap in the face to human potential because it basically says you don't, you don't have the capacity to be a multidimensional being. You have, you can just, you're basically a mule. You can do one thing and you have to do it in one direction and it's very limited. It's very linear. Um, and I, ju I just don't think it's accurate. I think human being, I mean, what's the peak of human potentiality? Let's ask that question. I don't think anyone knows. Nobody it's knows. Ever, ever expanding. Nobody knows, but it's safe to say that it's way more than whatever we think it is. Mm -hmm. And so if that's true, which it is, then it means the old ways of doing things are just a fraction of our potential. And so I always hedge my bet against the potential, not against the past. I don't care what we've done. I care about what we can do. The past is actually a terrible indicator of what we can do. Because if that was true, I mean, dude, we, we rode a horse and buggy for like thousands of years. We right. rode horses for like a long time. I don't know the actual historical timeline, but suffice to say it was a long time. And so if the past was any predictor of the future, we'd still be driving horses today but we're not, we're on the verge of driving flying cars. So it's a different reality. Luckily, someone let go of the past and started to believe in something different. And so, yeah, I, I, and when, think about it like this, as far as impact is concerned in a business and as far as leadership is concerned, take an individual who sacrifices their health, who sacrifices their relationships, who very often sacrifices their fulfillment their spirituality. Do you think that that person is an effective leader? Probably not because their faculties are running on fumes. When you are overflowing with joy, with connection, with richness, with health, with vitality, that's when you can be an excellent leader. That's when you can make a real impact. So the idea that you have to do it from this like very kind of hollow version of yourself is really kind of a joke. And so I'm, I'm building a new era. I'm, I'm reshaping the landscape of leadership to something new and better. 
Love that so much. So we've, we've covered the, the kind of the myth of, of, I guess you don't really want to call it a myth, but like the, the, the importance of having worthiness in order to move forward and the myth of you don't have to sacrifice. You need to be giving from a full cup, as you say, in order to really make it a real impact. There's there's one more kind of universal myth that I kind of want to cover because I think this one is really good. Uh, and and again, I don't know if you would technically phrase it as a myth, but I'll just kind of keep <laughs> I'll keep categorizing these. I think they, they all fall into the same category. And that is one of irresponsibility. So um, would you mind sharing a little bit about your view of irresponsibility and what that has to do with true expanded leadership? Yeah, I, I think that... When you, when someone has the idea to expand, it very often bumps up against feelings of um, irresponsibility. It feels irresponsible. So this this is a great paradigm. For example, a lot of the old hard charging entrepreneurs um, feel like it, in order to take their business to the next level, it would be irresponsible to spend more time with their family or it would be irresponsible to spend more time with their health and fitness. Um, and, and it just so turns out that 99% of the time, the thing that most people feel like is irresponsible is actually the thing that is the most responsible. Because first of all, if you have a family, I believe you have a responsibility to, to be there for your family. I mean, that's pretty, you know, that's not like mind blowing. That's not rocket science. That's pretty straightforward. But I think it goes deeper than that because it's like you have the responsibility to understand that as an overflowing and whole, complete, expanded version of yourself, that's how you're going to make the big, biggest difference. So it's actually the most responsible thing for you to do to improve yourself multidimensionally. Um, you know, sometimes like investing can seem irresponsible, but uh, technically it's a very responsible thing to do if you want to take your financial freedom to the next level. And so it's really just about shifting the paradigm and looking at everything you think is irresponsible through the lens of that's actually responsible. That's actually the most responsible thing I could do. Yeah. So, so powerful. And I love, I love that frame because it's just, it's something that we, you're right. I think societally, we think it is irresponsible to be prioritizing. We always view, that's why these three things I think go really well together is like, we kind of view it as a noble thing to sacrifice your health when um, that's the exact opposite of what we should be doing. So we've covered those three kind of big societal ones, but obviously like kind of like that quote I shared, I tell you, make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. There are these uh, limiting beliefs that we have that were, you know, could be from childhood. It could be from the way that we were raised. It could be from the friends that we had growing up, the environment that we had. So when it comes to, you know, obviously I can't sit and name that for everybody that's listening right now, what your unconscious beliefs that are holding you back. But in all the people that you've coached, do you have any thoughts or ideas on how we can explore those unconscious beliefs that are not societal, that are also controlling our lives and how to move past those? I think basically your question is like, uh, how can people become aware of their unconscious beliefs? Correct. The ones that, that were programmed from their childhood, yeah. um, you know, that, that are not like societal. How do we discover those and kind of overcome them? 
so are you talking about like beliefs and mindsets that we personally create? Yeah. So like, as an example, like I have, uh, I'll tell a really quick story. So uh, my dad uh, grew up in, in uh, a re- my grandpa was a restaurant owner. And so they were very, very careful with their money. Uh, you know, Chinese background. My grandpa came over when he was nine. And my dad uh, once decided to buy a pool cue because he liked buying, he, he loved playing pool. And so he spent $300 on this pool cue. And my grandpa saw it and asked him, how much did you spend on that pool cue? And my dad lied and said $40. And my grandpa said, you're so stupid. How could you ever spend $40 on a pool cue? Uh, and it, you know, and it was, it was my, my dad wanting to, to do something bigger. So that was an unconscious belief that my dad had in, in spending money that I'm sure uh, played, a, played a factor on how he was able to pursue his careers as an entrepreneur. So I'm sure everybody, you know, not everybody was buying a pool cue and being reprimanded by their grandpa. <laughs> but like we have those stories about money, about relationships, about, uh, you know, the important things in life that are holding us back. So again, uh, yeah. So how do we uncover those and, and really um, move to the next level after we have an understanding of what they are? Yeah, well, I, I think it really boils down to uh, two, two th- well, three things, I guess. Um, it boils down to, A, just looking at the fruit of the tree. And I like to call that results. Look at the results of your life. Whatever you, whatever you want to classify as results, whether that's money, impact, relationship, health, fitness, just how you feel about yourself in general, um, your ability to successfully express yourself, whatever. Just look at your results and ask yourself, are you happy with your results? Are you happy with where you are? Are you happy with who you are? Because then that leads us to your thoughts and, and, and your, your feelings, right? Do the predominant thoughts and feelings you have make you feel good or do they make you feel bad? Do they serve you? That's the real question. Are your current results serving you the way that you want them to? Are your current thoughts and feelings serving you the way that you want them to? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, then that means there's probably some stories that you've created about why you can't be, do, or have certain things. And um, therein lies the work. Yeah. That, that is a game changer right there. So look at what, it, what have you manifested in your life? And if you kind of reverse engineer those results, you can usually attribute that to a story. So that, that's a really powerful takeaway for everyone is like, start there, start with, don't worry about the unconscious because that sounds kind of nebulous and scary to determine what that is, but start with what is your existing reality in your life and then kind of go backwards from there to uncover that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so another another thing that I think was a pivotal understanding of, of your book is this concept of identity and that if we are attached to a certain identity, we are not allowed to expand into the greater version of what we can become. So maybe let's start this kind of part of the conversation with the foundation. So how would you define identity? Um, well, identity really just boils down to how you identify yourself. And so it, it, it's basically, I am fill in the blank. Whatever you say after that is who and what you are. So I am fill in the blank. And um, yeah, you're, ultimately your behavior 
and your results are a reflection of your identity. That's why I said, if, if you want to see if you're messing yourself up, just look at your results because your results are a function of your behavior. Your behavior is a function of how you feel. How you feel is a function of what you think. What you think is a function of who you believe you are or your identity. And so, um, you know, if, if the story is, if the identity is, I'm not enough or I'm not worthy, <clears throat> then that's going to create certain uh, thoughts. That's going to create certain feelings, certain behaviors, and certain results. Um, so, yeah, really, I, at the core, identity is everything. Yeah. So once we have that understanding, the next version of like, of of like, okay, so let's say somebody's listening. They went through the, the, they completed the exercise before of determining what they really want, and then they realize that their current identity isn't in alignment with that future version that they now want to turn into a reality. So how do we go about creating a new identity that matches with the greater expanded version of who we want to become? It's a great, it's a fantastic question. Um, This is a process. It's an exercise called the future self. So let's say we'll just use money as an example, because it's something that everyone can understand. Let's say that a person wants to, completely change their financial reality. Let's say they want to become a a multimillionaire. And their current identity does not support that. Then the question is, let's go into the future. And whatever you can wrap your head around, whether that's 12 months from now or five years from now or 60 days from now or whatever, Let's fast forward to a reality where you are a multimillionaire. And let's really go there. Let's really live that out. Let's go to that reality and meet that version of us. And let's find out what identity that version of us has. And let's borrow it. Let's bring it back to the, this moment and begin to be that version of us now. So when that time comes, that, that is who you, that that's who you are. That's who you become. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, Muhammad Ali said that he was the greatest long before he actually was. So he believed that he had an identity that was that. That, that that was his identity in the future. So he just started to believe and act and behave like that version of him that was the champion. And slowly, time started to collapse, and uh, he was the champion. Yeah, so powerful. So would you recommend that everybody kind of do that in all the components of their life? So it, it kind of starts back to the foundational question that we asked before, and that is, what do we really want? And painting a picture of what that person is and looking at all the different components of that lifestyle or that impact that we want to create. And then it's like that, that exercise, like you just said, is painting out what behaviors, actions, feelings, identity, beliefs, thoughts, those things that they need that that person has that has already achieved that result and start bringing that into the, the present. It's just kind of like an overarching, let's explore all these different components of the life that we need to dissect in order to become that person. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. It's basically like, let's figure out the results that you want 
And then let's reverse engineer the identity that would be responsible for that because everything is cause and effect. And so the identity is cause and the results are effect. Um, so whatever area of your life, you can put that under the microscope and say, hey, um, you know, in my relationship, I really want to be this kind of man or I really want to be this kind of woman or I really want to be this kind of person. Um, and I haven't been, but I want to be. So what is the identity that will allow for that to happen? And you, yeah. can, you can use that for, for everything. Yeah. I have a, a note here that I wrote down from your book too. There's a direct quote, but you talk about how the metrics of the new era are a completely different unit of measurement. There's no definitive measures. The focus shifts from one of skill sets to one of fundamentally changing the global identity of the founder and the trickle down effect that that has on the organization. I thought that was profound as well, because lots of the times when we talk about growth, in the self-development, self-improvement world, lots of people talk about acquiring new skill sets, but you're arguing, and you can expand on this if you think I put it incorrectly, you're arguing that the identity comes way before the skill sets. And that is a something that's going to have a trickle-down effect on everything else. Yes. So so let's let's look at a story to illustrate that, um, to, to prove my point, because this is not my opinion. This is my observation. Um, Andre Agassi is arguably one of the greatest tennis players of all time. Mm -hmm. And at one point in his career, um, he lost a match and the loss went straight to his head and he began to doubt himself and he played another game and he lost and he played another game and he lost and he played another game and he lost and he burnt all the way down to the bottom of the leaderboard. And he hired Tony Robbins and Tony shows up and he looks at him and he goes, well, you're not hurt. You're not injured. So your game should be a hundred percent. He said, what's your problem? And he, he says, I don't know. I'm up in my head. And so he says, well, let's look at the tape because they tape all the matches, you know? And so they look at the match where he lost the first match that he lost. And if you watch him walk out onto the court, he walks out on the, onto the court with his head down and his eyes down and his energy down. And he pauses the tape and he says, right there, that was the beginning of the end. What were you thinking right there? And he said, well, you know, I was kind of feeling sad because I had had a phone call with my dad the evening before. And I essentially told him that I never really loved tennis. I just did it to try to get more love from him. And... Tony said, that's it. That's your problem. You went out onto the court with the wrong mindset. He said, let's watch the tape before that where you won. What were you thinking in those moments? And he said, well, that I'm the best. And he said, yeah, exactly. So it's it, uh, Agassi had the skill set. The skills were there. The talent was there. But he didn't believe in himself, which caused the skill to basically be irrelevant because he lost and he lost and he lost and he lost. Can you imagine being Andre Agassi and losing against opponents that you know are not as good as you? Like that's wild. So it's not about skill set. You can have all the, you can be one of the greatest tennis players of all time and still get your ass kicked if you don't believe in yourself. So identity and belief is by far more important than skill. I love that. It's always it's like it's like solving for the level above. I think that's one of the biggest things that 
our mutual friend Jules has has taught me about. It's like lots of times people look at a problem, they look at like the boo-boo. Like that was what Andre was doing. He's like, I'm losing. What's the deal here? What's the problem with my technique? But usually the solution lies one step above. Um, and it was really the container that he put himself in was that that identity was incorrect that didn't allow him to perform at the level that he was previously performing at. That's right. That's exactly right. So cool. Okay. So we've, we talked about all these incredible things. And at some point, somebody's going to have to make a decision of realizing that they are not in alignment with the true version of themselves that they want to expand and create into and create this world. And so at some point, somebody is going to have this understanding and have to jump into this future version of themselves and start making changes that will get them greater alignment and actually make this dream a reality. And you have this topic and this this thing that I think is so powerful because I resonate with this period of my life right now that is surfing the void. So would you mind explaining what that means? Yeah. One so I believe we're going to we're going to go kind of uh macro here. We're going to sure. go meta for a little bit. I believe that human civilization is moving out of, uh, you know, there's, there's speculation about how, how old the human race is, but, um, let's just say, uh, let's just say a very old program that has been running in the human mind for a long time, which is called survival. And it's been necessary for the expansion of our species because we've, we've had to survive. And survival, basically, the, the predominant operating system in a survival mindset is where is the danger? Where's the danger? Mm-hmm. Right? If back in the day, before you had adequate weapons and shelter and all that stuff, and you lived out in, in the wild, there, there were literally wild beasts that would, that would kill you. So you had to be aware. You had to be on guard 24-7. Where's the danger? Where's the danger? Where's the danger? If you're out getting water and you hear a rustle in the bushes, you don't think to yourself, oh, I wonder what that is. Immediately you go, that's danger. Watch out. Be careful. Where's the danger? Watch out. Right? Just like a deer. A deer in a field. If it hears even a little noise, what does it do? Boom. It perks up. And if it hears the noise a little louder, what does it do after that? It doesn't think twice. It just takes off. It just runs. Right? You ever seen him do that? Why do you think that is? It's a survival mechanism. And human beings are still hardwired to do the same thing. And guess what? We, We live in a world where, for the most part, there's no danger. There's no danger anymore. There's no saber-toothed tiger that's trying to get you. There's there's no danger. There's literally no danger. We live in the safest time of human history. Now, yes, there's still violence and all the other stuff. There's that that that's obviously that's the case. But relatively, we we live in a very safe world. Like think about most people's existence. You wake up, you make some coffee, you enjoy some breakfast cereal, you do some work. You go to the grocery store, you get your groceries, you come home, you make your dinner, you watch a little Netflix, you go to bed. Where's the danger in that? There's no danger. And so there's no danger anymore. And yet we still live with this primitive mindset of survival of where's the danger? Where's the danger? Where's the danger? Where's the danger? And it's, and it's outdated. It's not necessary. 
And so the, the progression of our species is moving towards what I call thrivival. So we have survival and then I have <laughs> revival, which is thriving. Thriving. A society and a, and a civilization that is thriving. It's hard to thrive when you are constantly occupied and obsessed with where's the danger, right? If you don't trust somebody, it's hard to create a rich, connected relationship with them. Even if you really want to, if in the back of your mind, it's like, oh man, this guy's going to screw me over. Where's the danger? Where's the danger? Then you rob yourself of the opportunity of real, genuine, deep, rich connection. And I feel like that's one of our greatest growth opportunities is to begin to push that edge, to begin to let go of the fear or the obsession with where is the danger and to begin to absorb a new way of thinking and a new way of being, which is like, where, what do I desire? What is, what is the bigness in me that wants to come out? Where, where's the opportunity? Very different questions that lead to very different outcomes that lead to very different realities. Yeah. So going back to surfing the void. So now we have the the meta understanding of where this safety instinct has come from. So, right. So, so what that means is that people love certainty. They love to know if they if they if they want to know where the danger is then they also want to know how they can avoid it, right? Like a deer knows that if they don't question, they don't hesitate. If they just run away really fast, they'll probably avoid the danger. Well, one of the things, this is ironic, one of the things that we fear the most is the unknown. This is what I call the void. A state of not knowing. I don't know. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I want. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard for us to be in that place because we have to make sense of our world. And and very often our identities are tied to things that we know. I am a mother. I am a brother. I am a firefighter. I am a doctor. I know that because I went to school and I got the diploma or I went through the highs and lows of being a mom. So I know. I know, right? Think about all the knowing. The survival instinct needs to know. So being in the void is very, very difficult. It's very difficult to not know. And it's one of the most profound abilities that a human can have is to be in the void and to be okay, to be at peace, not knowing, not knowing. I don't know. And I'm okay with that because I am at my whole, at my center, I am whole. I am complete. So even if I don't know, that doesn't mean anything about me. I can be whole. I can be complete and I can sit in the void. I can sit in the uncertainty because I know that I'm okay, even if I don't know. That's huge. That's huge. When the, when the majority of society begins to behave that way, we will live in a very different reality. 
Man, everybody listening, go back and rewind <laughs> the last three minutes and listen to that on repeat every morning if you need to. I think that's so, so profound. And this is a topic that somebody else on the show has shared this, this concept of safety versus comfort, right? There's a big difference. And the mind often mixes the difference between safety versus comfort. Are you safe? The, the answer to that is most likely yes, as you just shared. But that's a, don't confuse that with being uncomfortable. And that's that's usually what people fall into is 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 confusing safety with um, their their uncomfortability. But I love that this go, this ties everything kind of together is because, like you just said, if you're whole and complete, and you're making this jump into a greater future, you're simply uncomfortable. And if you can just sit in that for a while, and it is uncomfortable. Like I said before, I introduced this topic. I'm sitting in this uncomfortability right now as a time as I record it. That's why it's like I, I think the side note I wrote in the book, Shannon, was holy fuck. <laughs> I I know exactly what this looks like. This is, this is exactly where I'm at right now. So that's so so powerful. And 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 knowing that you are going to be okay, and that if you do the work on yourself, that you are whole and you're complete. That that you are in the middle of a transformation and to really enjoy that component of being really uncomfortable that that's don't miss that uh and to savor that and that's something that i'm really focusing on is savoring this feeling because it's very powerful yeah totally and you know i've i've been doing this work now for 18 years brandon so i'm i'm just my listening skills are are very sharp so i want to go back to something that you said and and yes edit it just a little bit you said to know that I'm going to be okay. And I would edit that to, to know that I mm. am mm. okay. Huge difference, difference, right? Not a lot of change in the words. I didn't edit very much, but the, but sometimes the, the small hinge swings the big yeah. door. That's, and, and I love that. And that I love that you picked that out. That that's so important. Yeah. And language is everything. Because again, going back to my comment before about containers, language itself is a container. I, I don't remember where I heard this, but I'm pretty sure. So I might butcher this, but the, <laughs> the, the the general takeaway is the same. I believe in Russian, they have a shade, they have a word for a shade of blue that's kind of like the equivalent for pink, if that makes sense. So like like we have we can clearly in the in the English language distinguish between red and pink because we have a word for it. And in Russian, they have a they have a version of pink that or a vision of version of blue, and they have a very specific word for it. And because they have language for that color of blue, Russian people are able to identify that color significantly more than people from that don't speak Russian because they don't have that container. And so I love that you picked apart that 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 phrasing that I use. I think it's a really important lesson for everyone to realize just just in that because understanding the container of the language that we're in and how you're phrasing and the conversation that's going inside of your head is really important to deconstruct that to understand really how to get to the next level is because that's unconscious programming is a language that's running in your own mind. That's right. That's right. And I think that I think that I, I don't think I know that language of I will be tends to be popular for yeah, a lot and affirmations of and stuff because yeah, the challenge with I will be is that it's always in the future. Mm. And it robs us from what we from having. There's a difference between wanting 
being and having, I will be okay. I will be a millionaire. I will create impact to I am okay. I am a millionaire. I create impact. Big, 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 yeah. big difference. And again, a small difference from a language perspective, but big yeah. difference from a reality creating. Yeah, and here's here's a way, you know, because this is something that I've realized too. And again, going back to our, our mutual friend, Jules, one of the things that Jules talks about and I think is so powerful is that when you are in conversation, like Shannon and I are chatting right now, Shannon's in flow. Like you can see he's in flow. He just discusses, and the, the language that he's using is his natural language pattern that he's, I'm assuming, developed over time. He didn't always have this way to articulate the way he does. But I'm saying that because if you are doing Zoom calls, if if you are speaking, if you're on a podcast, if you record yourself and use that as an opportunity to listen to yourself and flow and see if you are using language that isn't serving you and uh, having that awareness line is a very important way to deconstruct potentially. And again, going back again, this is actually reverting back to what we were talking about before about uncovering unconscious beliefs. Shannon shared that we need to start with our behaviors, the results that we're having right now. So by recording yourself or looking at the conversations that you've had previously, you can start to spot those areas where you might be able to adjust it in a way that is more in your favor. Yeah, that's that's love that. Totally okay, true. so I know Shannon, we're we're coming up on time. I want to be respectful of your time. So there's a a few a few more, and then we can start wrapping things up. So I don't know if we want to go a little bit quicker, but um, what. Uh, it's all good, Sweet. man. I Love that. Time. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, another another topic that I think this came from a story that you shared on your podcast, um, and and it has to do with once you make a powerful decision, the universe has a way of <laughs> challenging if you really want it, right? So would you mind? I think I think this is the context of this is where this is coming from in my brain is that you were talking about on your podcast about making the decision to shift from a one year coaching program to a three-year coaching program. And then, you know, you had the universe come to you in certain ways and say, do you really want this, Shannon? So would you mind sharing that story and explaining how to deal with distractions after we make a powerful decision? Yeah, of course. Um, So I made a decision that I wanted to play a bigger game. And for me, what that looked like was charging more money and asking for larger time commitments from my clients. So specifically for me, what that looked like was 150000 a year per client with a three-year commitment. And both of those in the coaching industry are practically unheard of. Um, I think that it, you, can put, you can put a period on and, that. I've never heard of that before. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, however, you know, if you, if you spend any amount of time around me, what you discover fairly quickly is that I don't do what other people do. I do what I want to do. And I believe that everything is possible as long as you have the courage to stand behind it. Um, and, and I guess the little asterisk or caveat there would be, uh, and you've actually got the chops to deliver on whatever it is that you, that you propose that you want to do. But that's the thing, people's resolve. Um, and it's really, it's not a punishment. It's really kind of like, um, it's really kind of like conditioning. It's like training. And so I made the decision on a Sunday that I was going to launch this program. The very next day, I got a call from, uh, from a prospective client that I had talked to about six months earlier. And he said, hey, man, um, 
I want to do that program that you and I talked about. Uh, I wasn't ready then, but I am now. I can pay you today. I'd love to get started. And I'm very aware that this is how the universe works. And I'm also very aware that two items cannot occupy the same space at the same time. So what that means practically is that whatever you say yes to, you simultaneously say no to something else. And that alone is a powerful lesson to think about. Whatever you say yes to in life, you simultaneously say no to and vice versa. Whatever you say no to, by default in life, you say yes to something else. So you might ask yourself, what am I saying yes to? Because that will point directly to what you're saying no to. Or what am I saying no to? Because that will help you illuminate what you're saying yes to. So two items can't occupy the same space at the same time. So I said, I'm sorry, I don't offer that program anymore. And he said, okay. And the next day I get another call. Hey, I met you at that conference a couple months ago. We talked about doing that program together. Um, I'd really love to do it. I said, I'm sorry, I don't offer the program anymore. Because when you, when you endeavor to do something new, you have to have the courage to stand behind it and stand behind it all the way. So by the end of the week, I had had four phone calls that were essentially all the same. They were wanting to do this old program. And I pretty much knew that it was just the universe challenging me to make sure that I really wanted what I said that I wanted, that I had the fortitude and, and the ability to be steadfast enough to be willingly depart from not only serving people, but income for my family. Um, yeah. So for, for clients, you know, especially in that, at that time was a good amount of revenue. So to willingly let that go, um, you know, was, was powerful because it meant that I could, I could let go of something that was tangible in order to hold the space for something in that moment that was invisible. And the very next day, which was Friday, I got on a phone call with a prospective client for the new program. And at the end of the call, he ended up saying yes. Um, and it was just, it was profound. My reality went to a completely different level at that point. And I know that if I had said yes to those other people, um, it would not have turned out that way. Yeah. That is something that I, I absolutely wanted to get that story is because it's, I, I have experienced this as well as like, once you make a decision, there's so many things that just get thrown at you as opportunities. And I think another guest had said it like, beware of distractions disguised as opportunities or no, sorry, the other way around opportunities disguised or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever the way it is, it, it makes sense. Uh, what he said it, but yeah, I think that 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 overall arching principle is so true. Is that as soon as you make this decision, note that this is coming. That 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 no, now that Shannon has shared, you can know that once you make this decision, that that is most likely going to come where you're going to be tested whether or not you actually want to pursue this. So that was super powerful. And if I remember correctly, Shannon, that that last client, that was the New Zealand client, right? Yeah, that's correct. So it was the biggest, it was the biggest impact that happened uh, as a result of saying no to, to four clients. So what the, I'm sure everybody's wondering, like after you've worked on projects where you increase the GDP of New Zealand, you know, you, uh, and, and knowing your content, you're always focused on creating and making a future that's bigger than your past. So after you've done something like that, 
you know, you're kind of at a new peak of the mountain where you can see even higher. So what are you thinking about now? What are the new projects that you're most excited about? Um, yeah, a handful of things. Um, you know, I'm working with a client now, for example, who wants to uh, end dementia. Um, I'm working with a client who wants to change the world through music. Um, I'm working, I'm personally working on an artificial intelligence program that will democratize coaching. Um, yeah. And so ultimately the big picture of all of my work is to move the planet towards, um, what I call a tier 1.5 civilization. So, um, there is what is called the Kardashev scale. Kardashev, uh, back in the sixties was an astrophysicist and he theorized that there is intelligent life in the universe. And not only is there intelligent life in the universe, but there's probably multiple levels of civilization. And so Earth currently is a type zero civilization. The civilization scale ultimately has to do with intelligence and energy consumption. And so my goal is with within the next 50 to 60 years to bring the planet to a tier 1.5 status. Um, so all of my projects currently, whether it's with other clients or just personally are somehow some way moving towards that. That is incredible. <laughs> and, and I know and maybe this is a separate conversation for a whole other day, but that was something that you shared on another podcast that kind of shattered my brain is talking about how pivotal these next 50 to 60 years are going to be on the health and longevity of our planet. And that how, um, as a, if you study biology, a uh, creature that inhabits a host and destroys the host is a parasite. And if, if we continue at the pace that we're at right now, we're doing that with our earth. And so it's not a matter of escaping. It shouldn't be a matter of escaping planet earth to another planet. It should be a, a cause that would be what a parasite is, is it's rather learning how to live in, uh, in harmony with the host that we're occupying. And so <laughs> I just got chills when I heard you share that. So I'm so excited for you, man. This is, this is some big stuff. Yeah. I appreciate that. Cool. Well, I, you've been very generous with your time and, and obviously you're working on some world changing stuff so we can let you kind of get back to, to changing the world for us so that we can all end up on a tier 1.5 status earth in the next 50 to 60 years. Uh, but the last question I usually ask, and you are someone that I'm really excited to hear your answer. And, and so you can, you can change it. You can reject the question, but what does your understanding of what happiness means to you today, Shannon? I, happiness, I, I think ultimately comes down to to three things. Number one, are you happy with yourself? Are you, are you happy with yourself? Are you number two, are you happy with what you're doing? And number three, who do you love and who loves you? Mm. That's happiness. If That's you're beautiful. happy, if you're genuinely happy with who you are and what you're doing, and you can say that you love people, whether it's your friends or your family or both, and that they love you, that you feel loved. That's happiness. Mic drop.
not adding anything else on top of that besides obviously everybody can listen to or check out Expand. You can find that on Amazon. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. Highly, 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 highly with a million more highlies recommend just so you can expand your mindset. And this this has been a paradigm shifter for me. So I, I really appreciate it when people break my brain. So this has been a great conversation, Shannon. But besides Expand, where can people find out more about the incredible stuff that you're up to that's, that's changing the world? Um, my website, shannongram.com. Awesome. Cool. So last thing I'll say is just a a quick conversation with you listening right now. And that is if you are brand new, this is the very first episode you've ever listened to. It's an absolute honor to have you and you chose today. You can be listening to anything else, but you chose to hang out with me and Shannon today. And I hope you become a regular listener and subscriber. And if you're returning, I just want to say thank you. You're absolutely what makes this possible. And I truly appreciate you. But the last thing I'll say is regardless if you're new or returning, I have a favor to ask you. And that is if you have been expanded by what Shannon shared today. And if you're excited to jump to that next level of what you know is possible so that you can become that expanded leader that's going to change the world. And and if you've been excited by that, you have a friend that will also be excited by that. Please share that with them because this can absolutely and will change their life if they take it and apply it. So who's one friend that is interested in expansion and becoming a truest version of leader that you can share this? It's going to help Shannon out and uh, get more of his message out there. So I'd really appreciate that. But besides that, Shannon, thank you so much. This has been a mind-bending conversation. I appreciate you so much, my friend. Yes, thank you so much. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.